Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Good morning. You know, it's going to bring an extra good day when I brought another library book with me. I'm glad that you guys are here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you before, my name is Nick Allen, and I get to be the campus pastor of this location of Rolling Hills. And at all of our spots this morning, we're in the middle of a series called Masterclass. Don't be alarmed by that. Um, It's a complete study through the book of Romans. And today we're going to land in Romans chapter 10. So if you want to go ahead and find that on your devices or turn there in your analog Bibles, you can get to Romans chapter 10. We're going to spend the bulk of our time there, although we are going to begin with just a couple of verses at the close of Romans chapter 9. I'll tell you, a couple of weeks ago, and you would see the evidence if I were wearing shorts this morning. I don't know if you'd appreciate that or not. Um, But I have like what is only the equivalent of a seven-year-old skint knee down here. (laughs) Because it was early uh, on on a Monday morning a few weeks ago, and my wife and I were walking the dogs. We have an eight-year-old golden doodle who is um, Mary Poppins, basically. She's practically perfect in every way, and we love her dearly. I mean, she's better than most people. I'm not going to deny it. Um, And then we have this new golden doodle that lives with us, and it's a little bit deceptive because she's not golden. She's these beautiful black and white speckles. Her name is Harper. She loves us dearly. She's three, almost four years old, but she only came to live with us um, a few months ago, and we love her dearly. But when we're walking Harper, um, she's basically walking me. I mean, that dog is an Alaskan sheepdog mushing me through the neighborhood attempting to find every single squirrel that she can possibly find. She is always on the hunt for chipmunks and squirrels and moles and birds and basically all the things. And she's 75 pounds of hardcore energy. And we're walking through the sidewalks of Creve Hall, an older established neighborhood in Nashville where we live and we love. Um, And city council, we can do some things for the sidewalks in Creve Hall if you happen to be listening today. I'm not going to blame it 100% on Harper. I'm not going to blame it 100% on the sidewalks. But there was a particular moment where maybe this is just going to happen now that I'm at a certain age in life. Some of y'all will have to give me, like, is this normal behavior? I don't know. Like, mid-40s, this is what happens. So I step down, and Harper jolts forward after a squirrel, and I go planted directly on the cement, and blood is now gushing down from my leg. Susan verifies that I'm okay before she barrels over in laughter. (laughs) 
Sunny has no clue that this has happened. She's the perfect golden doodle. Harper has no clue that she is the cause of what has just happened. And you will notice that my wrist is completely void of any kind of scratches or scrapes, unlike my knee, which still looks a little bit weird. Do you know what broke my fall? The bag of waste that we had previously picked up because we are, we are good neighbors. Not like the lady that lives three doors down that always lets her dog do that in our yard and never takes care of business. And so I am covered all the way here in, I'm going to let your imagination run, bleeding down my leg and we're a block from home. And Susan continues to say, are you okay? (laughs) Yes. Yes, I am. I'm fine. Don't talk about it. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Sometimes we fall right? And, and, and sometimes the fall is dangerous, and sometimes the fall is just embarrassing. We, we closed Romans chapter 9 last week with these words. Paul is asking the question, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, those people who are not ethnically Jewish, who did not pursue righteousness, they didn't know to, they didn't have a law, they didn't have a whole Bible that they were required to memorize at really young ages, they didn't understand what the rules were, who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel, who, who did pursue the law as the way of righteousness, who had the Bible, who had memorized large swaths of it, like they literally knew this word, they have not attained their goal. And Paul says, why not? It's because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. That's the con- continuing message throughout this entire piece, that it's, that it's by faith and not by works, and they're pursuing it the wrong way. They stumbled over the stumbling stone-slash-sidewalk-slash-golden-doodle. No, it says they stumbled over the stumbling stone. And then Paul does what he always did. He quotes Old Testament. He's like, see, I lay us... In Zion, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. And it doesn't say that the one who believes in him will never fall down. It says the one that believes in him will never be put to shame when they fall down. The one who believes, and and this picture of Israel stumbling over the stumbling block, they're tripping up over the idea of Jesus and the grace that God determined to give them regardless of their ability to keep these rules. And that's where we launch into chapter 10 because Paul throughout this entire letter of Romans has continued to go back and forth between addressing the Gentiles, addressing the Israelites, talking about the Gentiles, talking about the Israelites. And the whole idea of the book of Romans, although it is a really theological work and you can just study it to get smarter all you want, it's meant to be a lived theology. Scott McKnight says it's meant to be a lived theology. It's meant to be something that we don't just learn, but that we live out. I read this book several years ago. It was actually during the start of COVID. This is my COVID book. It's called Uncommon Ground. I picked it up because it's by a pastor that I've known and loved and admired for years. His name is Tim Keller. He recently lost a a battle with cancer and went home to be with the Lord. And I picked it up thinking, oh, this is a Tim Keller book. It's bound to be great. And I realized shortly after buying it that basically he and another author, John Anazu, selected 10 other writers to write different chapters. And I encountered a lady that I did not know. Her name is Shirley Hoogstra. She is the president of the Council of Christian Universities in our nation. Big, huge job. And she writes this about being a bridge builder. She says, loving your neighbor is easiest when there's very little difference. 
Like anything that comes out of this book, any sort of lived theology, any sort of like mandated behavior to love a neighbor is easier when there's very little difference between you and that neighbor. She says loving your neighbor is easiest when there's no contentious issues between you. Loving your neighbor is easiest when their lifestyle matches yours. Loving your neighbor is easiest when they believe like you do, vote like you do, shop where you do, and have the same economic status you do, send their children to the same schools you do. Like, loving your neighbor is easy when your neighbor is just like you because I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to love my neighbor who is like myself. And then she says, the smaller the gap between you, the easier the bridge is to build. She says, the biggest need for bridge building, however, is where the gap is the biggest, where you don't understand the other person, when you don't feel that the other person might be your opponent or is even someone who hates you, yet the degree of difficulty in loving our neighbor doesn't excuse us from loving that neighbor. I'll read that again. The degree of difficulty in loving our neighbor doesn't excuse us from loving our neighbor. The first message point, the first blank that you might want to write down today so that it's something that you remember later this week, so that it's something that you can come back to in your life, so that it's something that keeps you awake this morning as you're following along in your notes, is that we want to get ourselves a heart like Paul, because at the very beginning of chapter 10, in light of the fact that his people stumble over Jesus, he says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Like his desire, his ministry, his composition of this letter includes a desire that his people, and we'll get there again next week in chapter 11, that his people who he loves and wants to see united with Christ and spending eternity with him in heaven, his desire is that they may be saved. We want to get ourselves a heart like Paul, a heart that burns for other people to know Jesus. Regardless of the gap between us and the rest of the world, we want to get a heart that loves them so much because we have a desire to see them be saved from what Romans has clearly articulated to us over and over and over again is sin. We want to get ourselves a heart like Paul, and at the same time, a deeper understanding of God. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Peter, I beg to disagree. (laughs) Oh, but then it says, as some understand slowness. Oh, that's it. (laughs) You're telling me that I don't understand slow. I'm a real impatient person. (laughs) But But I read this, and I find that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so in the context of this, understanding that that is God's desire to see people come to faith in him through his son Jesus, Paul basically issues for us a warning. And the warning is this, you can be deeply committed to God, but miss Christ altogether. That's the story of Israel. That's what we're looking at in these pages. He goes on to say, For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Can I tell you the Greek word for zealous? It's zelos. Isn't that fun? It's where it just sounds the same. And it means fierce indignation. It's the idea of being so burnt up inside because somebody else is not living the way that you think that they should. It's this passion for fairness. It's this passion for truth. And sometimes in their zeal and their passion for fairness, in their zeal and their passion for truth, they are willing to step over the necks of anybody and their brother to see that truth accomplished regardless of who gets hurt along the way. They are defending zeal. And it's 
It's not based on knowledge since they, they did not know the righteousness of God, verse 3, and they sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law. Christ is the culmination of law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. It goes on in, in verse 5 to say, Moses writes about the righteousness that is by the law. He says, the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will ascend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? He's quoting Deuteronomy. He's saying the word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. In Deuteronomy, Moses asked the people, hey, don't ask this question, like, who's going to go up into heaven and get it for us? Like, who's going to go down into the deeps and bring this message to us? He says, no, the message is near and dear at your heart. And so he's communicating to Israel. Paul is taking these words from Deuteronomy and saying, you don't have to go that far. You don't have to work that hard. You don't have to give it that all. What has been given to you is close, and it's Jesus. J.D. Greer explains the difference. And sometimes we start to miss this, the difference between religion and gospel. Religion says, I obey, therefore I will be accepted. That our acceptance before God comes in light of our obedience. And the gospel is different. It says, I'm accepted. And you could put a period at that end of that sentence. That's it, I'm just accepted. However, therefore, I will obey. Deuteronomy 30 is like, what I'm commanding today is not too difficult. Choose, like history, all of this book, making it so hard. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask. It's not beyond the sea so that you have to ask. That word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Throughout this entire letter, this, this whole treaty to the, to, the, to the Roman church, he's going back and forth over and over again, addressing the Jews, addressing the Gentiles. And when he addresses the Jews, he is quoting Scripture in practically every single section, but he's using it as an explanation not an exclamation. There's a strategy to these passages. He's speaking to a group of people who thought, we have the Bible. When I say the Bible, we have the scriptures. When I say the scriptures, I mean the Old Testament. When I say the Old Testament, I mean the law and the history and the prophecy. We have an inroad to God that the rest of the world does not have. He's speaking to a group of people who say the Bible and history, scripture, God's law, and all of recorded history, it's on our side. And to combat a Roman culture and to maintain a pure church, there would have been a tendency by Israelites in this moment to say, we've got God on our side. Y'all heard that before? You, you have? It's, it's on the news. It's, it's on Twitter feeds. It's, it's out there in the world. There, there are many believers in Jesus Christ who have allowed their zeal for Jesus Christ to weaponize this word against people who don't know Jesus Christ. Out of all the words that Paul could have selected in this moment, he says the word is near. It's in your mouth and your heart so that you can obey it. It doesn't come to you because you obey it. It comes to you because God's good. There's an assumption that we can take this 
this, this word and weaponize it against people who don't know it. That was happening in the life of the early church. Jewish believers in Jesus Christ who were coming to a pseudo-faith in him were saying, we're going to weaponize this against the Gentiles. They've got to follow X, Y, Z, or God doesn't love them as much as he loves us. This is the audience that Paul is addressing. And over and over and over again, he reminds them and he explains to them and he leads them to understand that only in Jesus, only in Jesus is the gospel available. It's only by Jesus. It says, if you declare with your mouth in verse 9 that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's part of that Roman road that we've been memorizing. The idea of Romans 3.23, that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, that Romans 6.23, oh, we, we've got this one, that, that for the wages of sin is death. If the sentence ended there, we would all be out of luck. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We go to Romans 5, 8, and it says, God demonstrates his own love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And now we land at Romans 10, 9 that says, if you declare with your mouth, like if you speak audibly with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in the depths of your heart that God raised him from the dead, that there was a crucifixion and that there was a resurrection and it was for lost sinners like you and me, you will be saved. And it says, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved as scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame not only do we learn from these words over and over and over again that 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 only in jesus is the gospel available to anyone to anyone the whole issue in romans really the the whole nature of this new testament Every single epistle to the early church, every letter that was written and described, ultimately the establishment of it, and and even the most present conservation is all about who could and who could not be included, and who gets to decide it. In fact, every argument for thousands of years in Christianity, the arguments that are being had today are all about who gets to be included, who gets to be kept out, and who gets to decide who your neighbor is in heaven. We're here today because of this word. It says in Romans 10, 12, there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. If you're a Gentile and you're hearing those words, you're like, yep, y'all tried to make us feel like we weren't as good as you, but suck as we are, here we go. And if you're a Jew, you're hearing, my whole life is a lie. Everything that I thought, everything that I believed, everything that I based my life on, my interpretation of it has always been us for and no more. And now you're telling me that those people, that the same Lord is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him, even if they're not like us, even if they didn't live like us, even if they didn't marry like us, even if they didn't behave like us, even if they didn't suffer like us. Romans ten thirteen. everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I got to remind you once again, we started out at the very beginning of this series going to Romans 16, 1, even though we were supposed to start with Romans 1, 1. It's the idea that this letter is being delivered through a lady named Phoebe. She's a benefactor of Paul and the local church. She's very 
very wealthy. She's a deacon in the church of Sincre. She's a leader in the life of the early church, and it was her and her alone that Paul designated, appointed, and sent to Rome on his behalf to be the person who walked into these churches and said, hi, my name is Phoebe. I got a letter from Paul. Would you all sit down and listen? It was her voice and her face that articulated those words, and it would have made so much sense because the letter to the church in Galatia would one day say to them, hey, by the way, there's no difference between Jew or Gentile, and Paul would go on in that moment to say, slave or free, male or female, we're all one in Christ Jesus. He's quoting words in this passage of Scripture. He's, he's referencing to the Jews words that they would have known. They would have known Psalm 18.3 that says, I called to the Lord who's worthy of praise. I've been saved from my enemies. So when she stood in front of them and read out loud, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They're thinking Psalm 18.3. Wait a minute. I called to the Lord and I'm Jewish and he came and saved me from my enemies. You're saying other people have that access too? Where'd they get his number? Shared it on airdrop. Psalm 50, 15. Call on me, an invitation. Call on me in the day of your trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Them people get to do that too? People that don't sing our same songs, they don't have our same instruments, they don't read our same translation, They don't even speak our same language. They don't follow our same rules like they, they get to do that too. Psalm 9115, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's your heart so that you may obey it. We get to know God so that we can call him very specifically. Paul here is quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 32, and his audience would have known that. It says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All those references in the books of Psalms, and then now this reference in the prophet Joel saying to a group of people, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that word call in the Hebrew language in Joel chapter 2 verse 32 means to cry out for help. Who cries out for help? People who fall down in Creve Hall and skin their knee. People who are bleeding. People who are hurt. People who are willing to admit that they need it. It's like a James Taylor song, you just call out my name and you know wherever I am, I'll come running. The people who call out are the people who recognize that they have a need. The person who calls on the name of the Lord is the one who recognizes that they're a sinner and they fall short of the glory of God. The person who calls on the name of the Lord is the one who understands that because of that sin, they deserve death and eternal separation from God. And yet they're believing the truth that God sent his son to die in their place so that they might receive life and that he did it while they were still sinners, before they were even born. Christ paid the price for them. The people who call on the name of the Lord are the ones who are willing and ready to say, okay, I'm going to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead so that I might be saved. And there's a side note in here for us. It's really just a rabbit that we could chase or a squirrel that we could go after. It's that all of our emphasis in these verses should be on the Lord part. 
It's this picture of like, so anybody who calls on Jesus, there's a song that sings that too. When I call on Jesus, all things are possible. Like, I get, like there's this picture of calling on Jesus that, that many of us understand. Like, and, and we call on Jesus as a Savior because he died and rose again. But when we call on him as Savior because he died and rose again, what we're professing to him is that he is our Lord. And we're not just saying, like we sang a few minutes ago, that Jesus is king because that would mean that he's in charge. Saying that Jesus is Lord, meaning that he's in charge and I belong to him. Saying that Jesus is Lord is different than saying Jesus is king. King just means he's the boss. Lord means he's the boss of you. And so we profess him as Lord. We, we say that he is God. He's not just a great leader. He's not just a masterful teacher. He's not just a philanthropic do-gooder. He's not just somebody who changed the course of human history. He's Lord over all creation. And unless he's the Lord of our lives, we don't know him. When we call out, we're declaring that he is Lord. So we understand that in Jesus, that's how the gospel is available. Yet in believers, that's how the gospel is deliverable. Paul could dwell there for a minute and just say, and he does in every other chapter, just kind of sits in the spot reminding people over and over again, it's by faith that you might be saved. Ephesians, not by works. None of you can brag about this. Like it's God's gift to you. And he sits there and he stays there. But in Romans 10, he makes a turn. He says, it's, it's by faith that people are saved. It's not by their works. It's not by their zeal. for. It's not by their effort and righteousness. It's literally by the gift of God. It's by people who cry out and say, Jesus, Christ is Lord. And now we're going to turn the corner and say, how are people going to know about that? It's in believers in Jesus Christ. Those people who have confessed him as Lord and profess that he is God, they're the ones that get to deliver it. It says in verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one in, in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without anybody preaching to them? It goes on in 15 to say, how can they preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Here's the news. It's not far away. It's not a long way off. It's not by your effort that you're ever going to seek it and find it. It's right there in front of you. Jesus Christ died for you. And the reason it's not far away off is because we're supposed to take it everywhere. That this whole picture of the gospel in believers, it's deliverable to who? To everyone, everywhere. Acts 1.8 says you're going to receive Jesus is talking to his disciples and not just his disciples but all disciples anybody who would one day profess Jesus Christ as Lord and he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Side note it includes people that you didn't think could be included. It includes people who didn't follow all the rules that you followed. It includes people who did not grow up memorizing the things that you memorized. It includes people who didn't grow up listening to the songs that you listened to. Israel had a history in all of the Old Testament of hearing the message, comprehending the message, and then rejecting the message. And don't miss next week in Romans chapter 11. I know it's a holiday, but we're going to talk about what it means for them to reject and how long it's 
gonna last. We have questions, and the Bible has answers. Israel thought that the gap between them and God was non-existent. Oh, we've got that on lock because of Abraham, because of Moses, because of David, because of this scripture. We've got this. And yet they tripped over the thing that actually gave it to them, a savior. The smaller the gap is between you, the easier the bridge is to build. The biggest need for bridge building is where the gap is the biggest, where you don't understand the other person, where where you feel that the other person might be your opponent or might even be someone who hates you. Yet the degree of difficulty in loving our neighbor does not excuse us from loving our neighbor. How can they call on the one that they've not believed? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching it to them? It's not lost on me that in this moment, a wealthy Gentile lady from Sincre is the one that's preaching it to them. She's the face and voice of this letter. And she's saying in this moment, if you'll take good news to everybody, even people that you don't think deserve the good news, even people that you think might reject the good news, even people that you think are far from the good news, your feet will be pretty. It's a worthy review for us to go back and say, we did a whole series dedicated to this idea of faith sharing, of being a gospel witness, of communicating his hope and his love and his truth to any and every neighbor regardless. We started out with the idea that it's up to you to look in your spheres of influence and your circles of acquaintance and identify who around you needs to hear this. Is there somebody near you that needs to know that they can call on God? It's not about what they've memorized. It's not about what they've done. It's not about how they've behaved but that they can literally call on him? Who are the people in your life that need to know that? That they're sinners in need of a savior. And we don't tell them that they're sinners because we want to take the Bible and weaponize it against them. We tell them that they're sinners because we want to extend a gift of grace to them. We identify who those people are and then invest in those relationships. Just be a good neighbor. Just be a bridge builder. And if you're different, if they believe differently than you, if they vote differently than you, if they've raised their kids differently than you did, if you've wanted to put, instead of a bridge, you've wanted to put up a wall because you're like, I don't want those people to influence my life and my kids, well, then let's tear that down and let's build a bridge. And it might be a long bridge because the farther you are different from someone, the longer the bridge has to be. So that investment will take time for you to be the kind of neighbor that would soften their wall and help them learn how to trust. Are you going to invest in those relationships all the while interceding for them, praying and asking God, 
Would you make it possible for them to believe? Would you make it possible for them to trust? Would you make this word comprehensive to them to where they understand that you love them enough to die for them? And then there's that moment where you can't wait any longer. You have to inform them of the truth that you believe and the gospel that you declare. It's not enough for one time in your life for you to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and profess that you understand that God raised him from the dead. That only saves you. But when you communicate that message over and over and over again, you have the opportunity to save someone else. That was Paul's method and that was Paul's mission that everybody might get a chance to hear that was his heartbeat and that was his deepest understanding of what the gospel good news of God says that he's patient not wanting anybody to perish especially those people that are really far distance from trusting that he loved them enough to send his savior and then you invite them to do the same thing that you did to confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead you can invite them to church that's great but what you really invite them to do is tell God that they trust him. We always have resources in the back to help with that. We've got a, a booklet. You can take as many as you want. We'll just refill it. it. It's the gospel good news. What does that good news mean and how can you communicate it to someone else? It's got all of these verses from Romans and a whole bunch of other verses from scripture to explain the truth about who Jesus is. It's a summation of what we believe that the gospel says that it's not about our works, it's not about our effort, it's not about our good deeds, but it's about his gift of grace that saves us. We even have new neighbor kits. You can take them to a neighbor that's really far off, but I advise you just to start with the ones right around you. It's cookie dough, like the simple kind. You can be super complicated and make homemade cookies if you want to, and I think that's like next level awesome. Or you can just take the dough that we provide, mix it with a little bit of water and maybe an egg, I don't know the instructions, and take those cookies to somebody else with a picture of welcome, with a, with a portrait of love, with an understanding that none of us had an inside track, that we were all invited to a place in humility where we would say, we are just sinners saved by his grace. That's the good news. And it's a message that we are called, that we are invited, that we are instructed to take everywhere we go. There are people out there in the world, some people that have been on the inside and some people that are way far on the outside that are stumbling left and right falling down and we can see their wounds they're bleeding they're covered in the mess of their lives because they don't realize that this gift of Jesus is a good thing they don't know what it means to call him Lord and to place their faith and trust in him in Jesus the gospel is available but in believers that's how it's deliverable we got to make some deliveries would you pray with me father thank you Thank you for this day. Thank you for the chance to be in this place. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word and to tell you yet again how desperate we are for it, how very much we need it, because it's in that good news 
that we find our hope. It's in that good news that we find our meaning. It's in that good news that we find our forgiveness. And it's in that good news that we find our purpose in life to take that good news to everybody who needs it. Every one of us, God, has some people that we think deserve to be on the outside. Would you remind us, God, that that was once us? That while we were still your enemies, while we were still walking in the air of our disobedient ways, you sent Jesus to die for us. And that's the message of hope that we get to proclaim to the whole world. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, everybody. That everybody might hear that there's a God who loves them, who sent his son to die for them. That's our hope and prayer. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.